we go back to where this series, Spiritual Agriculture, started in Matthew 13, looking at the parable of the sower. The story is also told in Mark chapter 4 and Luke chapter 8. It is in the three synoptic gospels. But for this morning, we'll be back at Matthew 13. We've looked at the soil. We've looked at the seeds. Um, Today, we look at the surroundings. It really doesn't matter how great your seed is. It may not even really matter so much how great your soil is if you don't tend to the surroundings of the plant. If you're not willing to pull the weeds, then you are, in essence, uh, conceding that land and the bounty that could come from your harvest. You're succeeding it. Uh, conceding it to the ground. It's important in agriculture, but also in spiritual agriculture, that we are on top of the weeds. Those resource stealers uh, that try to suck the nutrients out of the ground that belong to our plant. So it's important that we're watching and looking over those things. So this morning, I hope that we will be able to identify the different resource stealers that Jesus references in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's account. And that in doing so, we might also have an open heart enough that we may be willing to examine ourselves and say, God, do any of these fit me right now? God, do I have any of these weeds growing up in my life? And that we may, we may pull those weeds, roots and all, from our heart this morning. I want to reread Matthew 13 to you, starting in verses 1 and then through 9. And then I will read Jesus' explanation of it in verses 18 to 23. It says, on the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, and great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, behold, a sower went out to sow, or plant. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. And some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth. And they immediately sprang up, but because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. And others fell on the good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 18. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away that which was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on the stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises, because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word that it becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some hundredfold some 60, and some 30. If we take Matthew, Mark, and Luke's account all together, there are really four things that are referred to as thorns. There are four different kinds of weeds, unwanted weeds, pest weeds, 
natural weeds that grow up out of the ground. Uh, One of those is the deceitfulness of riches, as we've talked about. Another one is the desire for other things in Mark's account. We also have the cares of this world, as Matthew describes. And in Luke's account, we have the pleasures of life. Those four things are are what are referred to here as resource stealers. And we're going to go through each one of these four things to discover how they really play a role in causing that plant to be tore down or to be become worthless. I want you to consider just a few things. One of these is when we're considering how these this plant is choked throughout this entire series or throughout this entire message this morning. There is going to be this great contrast given, hopefully, between the good plant and the weeds. And I want you to think about that for a moment. Just this contrast that God that Jesus places in this parable. The good seed, the good plant, is one that is intentionally planted in the ground. There is thought behind it. There is intention. There, there, the, the farmer was going out, and his whole purpose was to get seed in the ground. Now, no doubt, it fell on different soils or different kind of hearts, but the farmer was still doing what he was supposed to do. He was supposed to get the seed into the ground. And that seed was supposed to produce a crop. And that crop was understood to be good. We believe it is wheat, is what Jesus is referring to. So we have wheat on one hand, which is good and profitable and used to help nourish other people. And yet on the other side of that, we have thorns that cause pain, that cause hurt. They're, they're pests. Nobody likes them. Nobody, none of you, I'm sure, the only thing, the only good kind of thorn, I think, may be a rose, and that's because the flower on the end redeems the thorns on the plants. Did you know they make roses now without thorns? Have you heard that? It's a genetic miracle, isn't it? What good is, anyway, never mind. You got, you got thorns on one hand, these are not the roses, friends, you got thorns on one hand, briars, and on the other hand, you have an intentional, purposeful, Seed, kernel of wheat thrown in the ground. One good, one bad. The weed grows naturally. You don't have to plant weed seed. It comes up all on its own. In fact, if you think about it, isn't much of our life always battling against the natural? I mean, if you think about it from a spiritual standpoint, aren't we always battling against the natural nature, the natural tendency, the sinful uh, tendencies that we have? Bible says we've all sinned. We are bent away from God. So we are, as believers, are constantly struggling and battling and waging war against the flesh and this old man. But if you think about it, life's not really much different. We're constantly mowing our grass. We're constantly trying to trim the weeds. We're constantly trying to bring out the roundup. And we know that if too many weeds or seeds get on our, get on our concrete and then it gets in a crack, what's it start to do? It starts to grow. And that little weed, that small weed, can begin to push away the concrete. Natural weeds, natural trees that you didn't plant, you didn't intend on, can destroy foundations and houses. It seems like life is just this constant struggle to push the natural back down. I want you to see several things. Look at what Jesus says in His description in verse 22. The cares of this world... Let's look at this one first. Jesus said the cares of this world are referenced as thorns in this story. 
So the good seed begins to grow. It's sown down into the soil. It's not depth, it's not shallow earth. It's got good depth of earth. It's not fallen on hard ground that it can't get down into. By all accounts, it appears as though this seed has everything going for it. It's fallen on the good soil. It's penetrated down underneath. And it is now starting to grow. It is starting to change its form. It begins to poke out like we looked last, a few weeks ago. The leaf, the shoot, the sprout comes out. And now it starts to grow. So the farmer, no doubt, would walk by and see that and think, hey, that's a, that's a great job. It's, play, it's growing. It's starting to produce. It's, everything is looking good. But then something else begins to happen. Weed begins to grow up beside it. Starts to sneak up gradually. Before long, it chokes it out. What is that weed that's choking it out? Jesus said it's the cares of this world. What do the cares of this world mean? It means this. We get so worried about things that are going on in the world around us. Financially, relationally, globally, presidentially, politically, however you want to look at it. We get so burdened and weighed down over all the things that are going on. Physically, for some. We start to worry about it, and before long, it begins to weigh heavy on us. And before long, that little bitty weed that began as just a small sprout of a care and a concern and a worry then begins to grow and grow and manifest itself. And before long, it is choking us out. That small little plant of worry, that small little plant of concern that we didn't pull, that we didn't apply a promise to God on, that we didn't say, listen, God is sovereign, He is in control. The, the, that, that little worry that we didn't pray about, but yet we worried about, begins to grow and steal the nutrients from the soil of our heart that is supposed to go towards producing righteousness. You see, worry is a sin. To worry is to not trust God. And to not trust God is a sin. And what Jesus is telling us in this story, the very first one that He mentions is the cares of this world. They start out small, but they begin to grow. Why does Jesus tell us, why does Peter tell us to cast all of our cares upon Him? Why, why did Jesus tell us to not worry about the things that we're going to eat or the things that we're going to wear? He tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, the very first of the sermons, to not worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about those things. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You know what is crazy? is that we start to think that, there, that God doesn't want us to worry about anything. And I, I don't know that that's necessarily the case. And this may be splitting hairs on the word worry. But yes, God does not want me to worry about my provision. He does not want me to worry about His faithfulness. He does not want me to worry about the things of this world. What He wants me to worry about is my relationship with Him. He wants me to be consumed with my relationship with this great God. But oftentimes the worries and concerns of this world take over that spot in our heart. And instead of worrying about lost folks, instead of being concerned with missions advancement and the kingdom of God, the Great Commission, instead of being worried about whether our friend or coworker knows Jesus, other than to be worried about that relationship down the road, that, that, that our neighbor's marriage is falling apart, and praying about that. We worry about things 
doubting God's faithfulness, failing to trust Him. Jesus said the first description of that thorn is cares of this world. They choke out the seed. I want you to see the second one that He mentions in the same verse. The deceitfulness of riches. The deceitfulness of riches. Not the deceitfulness of finances. The deceitfulness of riches. I want you to think about this person that Jesus is describing here. The person that Jesus is describing here believes that satisfaction, security, and the answers to life's problems come in the form of riches. That's what they believe. They believe that their life would be better if they had more money. It not, not just, this isn't just getting by that Jesus is talking about. This is a person whose life quest is to get as much money as possible. They're not just wanting to get by. They're wanting to get mine. That's exactly what they're wanting to do. And Jesus refers to it as the deceitfulness of riches. Those people who believe if they just had more money or, or, or a lot more money, that life would be better. Those people, Jesus said, are in for a rude awakening. Because they're going to be investing their life in something that is fleeting. In fact, let me tell you what Proverbs says about riches. Because let me tell you, there's, a, there's an epidemic, and I'm just going to be really honest with you. There is something that we struggle with as Christians. And it really needs to be addressed. We can often put a very, very flattering picture over our sin. We can rename it. We can make it look like something better than what it is. There are a lot of people, and, and I, many of us believe in a good work ethic. Okay? We do. If somebody is a hard worker, we love that. We want hard workers. But there is an epidemic among some. When you talk to them about going to church, they can't go to church. Why? Because they're working on Sunday. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not arguing. I'm not, I'm not making a claim against someone working on Sunday. There are those that have to work on Sunday. My wife right now is working on Sunday. And for those of us that get upset about people working on Sunday, will you tell your waitress that when you go to lunch right after church? The other thing, but it's this. When you are working when you don't have to work just to get more money. I don't know how many people I've talked to. I invite them to church. I can't. I work on Sunday. But they don't have to work on Sunday. The Bible, the Bible deals, Solomon deals with this very issue. Proverbs 23, verse 4 and 5. Do not overwork to be rich. Do not overwork to be rich. Sunday is the Lord's day. This is the day that we want to magnify the name of Jesus. I am not a legalist in this. But what I'm saying is if I have every opportunity, I want to make the most of that opportunity to use this day to be in God's house with God's people. This is the Lord's day. Do not overwork to be rich because of your own understanding. Cease. Proverbs chapter 23. I, will you set your eyes on that which is not? Listen to what Solomon describes as working hard to get rich. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? It sounds like what Jesus says, the deceitfulness of riches. For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle towards heaven. You know what Solomon is saying? He's saying, why would you overwork to be rich when what you're living for is only going to take wings? You can't grasp it. You can't hold on to it. Solomon in all of his wisdom understood something. 
And it ties right in with what Jesus was telling in the Sermon on the Mount. He said there are people that are running after. They are so poised in their life that all they can think about is getting more money because for them it represents satisfaction and security. For them it represents meaning in life. And Jesus and Solomon both tell us the wisest from heaven and the wisest on the earth both say that money is not something worth pursuing in our life because it goes away. Paul says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. What he's saying is the trap has been set and many people have fallen into that trap to pursue riches and wealth. What are the first two thorns? cares of this world, to be burdened down and worried about what's going on around us without trusting God, applying the Word, praying about it. What's the second one? It is the the deceitfulness of riches, to live after that which is never going to last. Notice this third thing. It's the desire for other things. This comes out of Mark and Luke's account. They want for something else. If we go back to the story of the parable of the sower. The first seed fell on the hard ground, right? The birds of the air came and snatched it away. Jesus referenced that to the enemy stealing that seed because they disregarded it. They didn't hold on to it. They didn't think about it. They didn't bring it in. They left it out there. They disregarded it. The second seed was one that was scorched because it didn't have deep roots. It was actually destroyed from the outside, from an outside force. This third one is the worst of all. I would imagine this one would have to break the heart of God the most because it deals with the very heart of God. Jesus references that one of those thorns is our desires for other things. Somewhere along the line, this person in this story that this is all a picture of heard the Word, received the Word, began to grow. But somewhere in that person's life, something happened. And they began to believe that the riches or the rewards of this world were greater than the rewards of of God. Somewhere along the lines, they didn't disregard the Word. They weren't destroyed by persecution. These people had their hearts stolen. Something shined greater than Jesus. Something rose loftier than Jesus. Something became more desirable or noble than Jesus to them. Somewhere, somewhere along their road, this person believed that thorns were better than wheat and that it was worthy of lining their life up after. You know, if we're not careful, we can fall down that same pit. Makes you wonder, 
What promise did Jesus not keep to these people? You know? In what way was God not faithful to them? How did did their eyesight get so dimmed that the glorious things of God became tarnished? Not just cares of this world. Not just the deceitfulness of riches. But the desires for other things. If you don't think this is a powerful force, let me remind you of something. The exact same word, desire, exact same Greek word, is used when Jesus says these words, with great desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. If you don't think that is a powerful force, it is the same word that Jesus is using to describe how much He wanted to eat the Passover with His disciples before He suffered. This is not just some fleeting passing relationship. This isn't just something they wink at. This is something they want in their life as much as Jesus wanted that sweet fellowship in that upper room before He went out to the garden to suffer. Where He had that most intimate of prayers. Intimate of teachings where He washed their feet. Where He identified His betrayer. Where He pronounced blessings. Where they sung a hymn and went out. All of that is what Jesus wanted. And the same word is used to describe what I could want in this world. A desire so great that it could cause my eyes, my gaze to fall off of Christ. Man, how horrible. I hope that God allows us to see to just how horrible those thorns are in relation to that stalk of fruit that He desires from our life. Notice this fourth and final thing. It's the pleasures of life. Pleasures in life are fleeting, futile, and fruitless. It's not to say that Jesus doesn't want us to have fun. It's not to say that walking in faith is not a pleasurable experience because it is. But these folks have much, would much rather live and have pleasures as their source rather than a result of their relationship with Christ. They are looking at something that is fleeting and fruitless and futile. They are running after it and pursuing it and they're never able to have enough to be totally satisfied. That has become pleasures for them had become a sad substitute for their ongoing deepening relationship with Christ. And what Jesus says is that these are all a picture of that weed that is growing up, that thorn, the deceitfulness of riches, the cares of this life, the desire for other things and the pleasures of this life. And you say to yourself this morning, I hope you say to yourself this morning, God, am I guilty of these right now? Are the cares of this life, or the deceitfulness of riches, are the desires for other things, are they in my life? Let me, let me tell you how these things tear us down really quick. These are how the weeds tear us down. Two ways. The first is they rob nutrients. Second point, they rob the nutrients out of our soil. 
That means if we go back to the picture that Jesus has drawn, I have nutrients in my heart. I have a condition here. This is soil. And when the word falls, that good soil produces a good crop. But that good soil also is indiscriminate. Think about it. Soil is indiscriminate. It will take what you give it. It doesn't care. It's not going to grow necessarily something better or something worse in this instance. The weeds will grow just as good as the plant will. It didn't care. Whatever was there, it's going to take it. It had to be pulled. It robs the nutrients. Pleasures of life, cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, the pleasures of life, all of those things rob space. Rob the nutrients of what we should be doing in producing fruit, growing fruit from our life for Christ. What's another way they do it? The weed grows taller than the plant. And it comes between the plant and the sun. Literally, it cuts off the supply of light from the sun to the plant. You see, it doesn't just get robbed from below. Those wants, those desires that are not of God, they can grow so tall that before long, they begin to cast a shadow and the plant can no longer eat. You all know what Roundup is, don't you? You know how Roundup works? It's kind of intricate. There are a lot of words that I would use that you would know it's not me, it's my research, right? So I'm not even going to use it. I'm just going to give you the Jamie version. Roundup does this. It interrupts the plant's ability to make food from the sun. When you spray it on there, it literally inhibits the plant to be able to receive the nutrients of the photosynthesis that takes place in the plant. It literally starves the plant to death. There is that sun right in front of it. But because of that roundup that's been sprayed on it, it now no longer has the ability to soak it up. I believe the enemy uses a very similar tactic in our life. To bring those things into our life that rob the nutrients of our heart and then allow us somehow to behold God to look at the sun, but to have a heart so hardened that we can no longer process what we see. To read the Word and not synthesize the rays of glory that come from it. What happens? We get choked out. How? Gradually. Please, if you don't get anything else this morning, get this. It is a gradual process. Let me tell you something. If you're not taking sin seriously, the enemy is taking sin seriously. If we are not taking even the smallest of weeds seriously, all it requires is just a little bit of neglect before those little shoots begin to sneak, snug up next, and eventually choke out the plant so it becomes unfruitful. I do not have the ability to look into your heart. Sometimes seeing my own heart 
is tough. But I want to ask you a very simple question. Did this message on the surroundings resource dealers? And did God say something to you right here? Is there sin in your life right now that you know? Cares of this world, something you're worried about? Deceitfulness of riches, maybe your life is to get it. Maybe it's a desire for other things. Your heart has been stolen. Or maybe it's just the pleasures of life that have robbed your heart of producing what God intended it to produce. I'm going to ask you this morning, if you've never come to faith in Jesus Christ, you're a weed bed, spiritually speaking. But God wants to do a work in you. He wants to till up those weeds. He wants to pull those weeds out of your life through the work He did on the cross. And He wants to put that Word right in your heart. He wants to grow something brand new and a brand new garden in your life.